up, everybody? Welcome to yet another episode of Roll for Persuasion. I'm your host, Andrew Richardson. Thank you guys so much for joining me here each and every week where I do my absolute best to bring you some of the coolest, most creative, most interesting people in the Dungeons and Dragons and tabletop gaming communities. I've got one of those awesome people today. We'll get to him in just a minute, but let's knock out some quick business before we go here. First of all, I'm excited to welcome a new partner to the show. Um, you know that we have a couple of cool sponsors that help keep this show up and running, and I'm super grateful for them. Very excited about this new company uh, because they make some of my favorite things in the world, and that is dice. So I'm very excited to be partnering with AwesomeDice.com. Uh, they carry all the major brands that you might like. I have a few sweet Chessex sets from them. They also produce their own. Um, just just cool, cool stuff. If you uh, follow me on Instagram at Roll Persuasion, you can see some photos that I shot recently of one of the new sets of dice they got me. And then yesterday I was running a one shot for a bunch of uh, for a bunch of junior high kids, and I rolled four nat twenties on those little suckers. Um, so you can tell those dice roll well. But check them out, awesomedice.com. You can use my code ROLLPERSUASION. You'll get 10% off. They'll help the show a little bit. So uh, everybody wins. You get dice. I get a little support for the show. And uh, we all roll some natural 20s. So check them out, awesomedice.com. And now, without any further ado, you know what? Actually, disclaimer. Let's put a quick disclaimer out there. This show is not sponsored by D&D Beyond. So you will know that the uh, the little rave I'm about to go on is is completely of my own opinion and not backed by any sort of corporate shilling. Um, I love D&D Beyond. Uh, most of us, I think, started playing D&D before it was available. And uh, look, there's nothing wrong with pen and paper. It is cool. It's a fun vibe. I'm a digital person. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a tech person. So I needed a digital solution. Uh, I used an app called Fight Club for a while um, that was of questionable legality. And it worked, but oh man, it, it was brutal. It was a brutal experience. So when D&D Beyond came around, I, I think I was on one of the first beta users of it, and it has changed uh, It has changed my game. It, it, it has been super cool. And that is why uh, I made it a goal, and I'm very excited to have the, the let's get the title right, the Vice President of, of Gaming, of Tabletop Gaming. Is that right? Ta- tabletop Gaming, yeah. It's one of the most made-up titles in the history of all business, I think. The best titles are so the VP of Tabletop Gaming at D&D Beyond and Fandom, Adam Bradford. What's going on, man? Oh, not much. Thanks for having me. Uh, I love that this is podcast form where no one saw me, you know, with a heavy wink when you were saying that we didn't sponsor you, you know, so no, I, actually. I, <laughs> Hold on, my I, phone's I, buzzing. I got that Venmo notification from you. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thanks. <laughs> Completely <laughs> making that up. No, uh, I do Appreciate the uh, kind words for sure. It has not been, you know, it's not always been easy getting that kind of review for D&D Beyond. The the early days were, uh, you know, really dark. And especially (laughs) from from about announcement to, you know, the end of beta, uh, life was was definitely uh, kind of this, you know, black hole of, uh, just, you know, kind of skepticism. Sure. You know, there was a little bit of hope mingled in there uh, occasionally, but, you know, it was apathy, cynicism, skepticism, any kind of schism that you can throw at it there. And, uh, you know, I think that uh, it, it's really incredible when I look back on just, you know, those founding days and, and how this grassroots movement within our company just got off the ground that eventually became D&D Beyond. And, and, you know, looking at that, uh, you know, we just finished our second year. Uh, so going into this third full year, 
you know, it seems like it's been a lot longer than that, first of all. <laughs> but then, you know, the other part of it is it, it's just really, really something to look at what has been accomplished, but then also to look out at what stretches out ahead of us and, you know, how much work there is and how much more we have to do. Uh, It's just an exciting time to be a fan of Dungeons and Dragons. It's a very exciting time to be working on something like D&D Beyond that, you know, is helping people play the game. Uh, It it really is uh, just kind of the golden age of all of this. And it's one of those things where, you know, one of these days that's not maybe going to be the case, but maybe we can, you know, it can be another kind of age that's even better than that. So I look forward to, you know, the platinum age and whatever other rare metal we want to come up with after that. Uh, it Electrum. I think Electrum would be the next. Uh... Electrum. I like it. Yes. That was uh, Mace Windu's lightsaber. So yeah, that's it. <laughs> so, so I think, I think that's kind of interesting. Um, cause, cause like I said, I think I was one of the first people on the the early the public beta of D and D Beyond, um, and you're right, it was rough. But but I've you know I've done different. What, like, what is your username? Or I mean, you don't have to divulge it to. Oh me. no no, it's fine. It's a Wicket. Like okay, you walk from Star Wars. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I I straight up recognize that because I would not forget you know an Ewok uh, <laughs> styled name like that anyway. But uh, yeah, no, that's yeah. Uh, that's very cool to hear. Yeah, well, and, and and I saw I remember early on I saw some of like the response of like what you were talking about, you know, on the on the forums or on Reddit, um, you know, about like you know, people just like to be unhappy. I think especially especially many of us in in different fandom groups, um, we always say that we want something better, we want change, but then when it comes, we just like to bitch about it. Um, but I, I think most people don't realize like like at first the idea of making a digital character sheet right? Seems to the end user incredibly straightforward. It's like, oh, well you, like I have my paper in front of me. You just, you put the numbers in, right? That's all it is. But the complexity, because I was even thinking you guys just announced the alpha for the, uh, the initiative tracker kind of in the encounter builder and stuff. And, and immediately people in that were like, well, it'd be better if it had, it's like, well, no shit, it would be better if it had that. (laughs) But there's so much involved, probably so much that I can't even wrap my head around that. So what was it like um, and we'll get to kind of how you even got to the point of starting this company a little bit later. But what was it like approaching the complexity of taking such an intricate game as Dungeons and Dragons and trying to digitize it and make it user friendly and functional? Yeah, I think it, it, there's no other way to say it other than it really is a challenge. And, uh, you know, I think that. I think that you're summarizing that very effectively to say that most of the fan base does not understand what is you know truly going on with all of that activity, and I get that too because you know I uh, we were you know talking before we hit the record button here a little bit about Marvel movies or you know whatever, and I you know I am looking at Endgame and I'm saying this is just immaculate. This is the you know, my favorite movie that's ever come out. And, you know, of course there are better ones or whatever, but it's my favorite, you know, and, uh, and I'm watching this movie and I'm just seeing what they, you know, this culmination of these 22 other films and just, you know, how this is all coming together and thinking to myself that that is a lot easier than that clearly was for Kevin Feige and all of the people working on that, you know, to actually pull that off. And so clearly we're not doing anything on that scale. I'm not trying to compare us to, to what, uh, you know, uh, Disney and Marvel are doing there, but we did start from nothing 
And we started, you know, three years into the cycle of this edition, which, you know, this edition is going to be around a while. And, and that's not me dropping official lines or anything like that. Uh, I mean, I think that it's pretty easy to see that, you know, if something is as successful as fifth edition has been, it's not going to just evaporate, right? So it, it is going to to be around for, for some time. I kind of personally hope that it's just the forever edition, uh, you know, but, you know, we'll see how all that shakes out. But I do think that when you're looking at the fact that we came in three years late, we had this struggle even to get this off the ground internally at Curse at that point in time. And then to think about, well, hey, then we have to take Dungeons and Dragons. And even though fifth edition is clearly simpler than, you know, uh, most of the other editions, definitely simpler than fourth edition was, um, I think, uh, you know, most folks would say that it's simpler uh, in its complexity than third edition. Uh, probably, you know, second edition as well. But, uh, but, but, you know, ultimately it's like, hey, this great amalgamation of all these rules and it made it easier to play it still is a very rules dense game. It, it genuinely is. And if you don't believe uh, that just at first glance, I would invite you to look at how many tables we have in our database. Right. So <laughs> it's just, you know, uh, it, it's just so complex when you start breaking it down into what it's actually doing. And then if you try to automatically calculate a lot of the numbers that go behind those rules, this is where things get just even more complex. And so as we started out, this idea of modifiers, if you've ever used you know, Homebrew on the site, the, these are things that we use ourselves as the building blocks of what ends up happening. And that character sheet, when we came out with it, yeah, it seems like you know I'm looking at a piece of paper. It's very easy. Just let everything that is on that paper display on a web page easy it's it's done the problem with that is you are typically and this is the part that people forget about you're thumbing through a book you're doing math in your head or even on you know scratch paper then you're getting that total you're putting it into these little pretty ornate boxes you know on, the, on that piece of paper and ultimately that process even if you were pretty good at it was going to take you, you know, I'd say if you're pretty good at it, a minimum of 20 or 30 minutes. Um, and if you're, you know, decent at it, it's going to be an hour at least. And if you're new at it, it might take three hours. It used to take that long when, when I would introduce new players. And so you have this process that people forgot about what made, <laughs> what made that piece of paper. And that's yeah, exactly. the part is just so complex about what we uh, have done. And that's actually the part that right this second, um, you know, we are, uh, we're facing some growing pains these days. Our uh, team has grown from five developers to about 35 at this point oh, wow. in time, yeah. which is just massive growth, especially in software. And um, so we're trying to, we're trying to figure out, you know, how to be most efficient with our development so many of those resources are new and, and we're having to spin them up and get them, you know, to where they're able to work on all this. But, you know, one of the challenges has been that like, you know, with that character sheet, we made it, uh, this rules engine is what we call it internally, that is going to determine what your armor class is at any given point in time, because you might be wearing armor, but you might have a cloak of protection. Yeah, You yeah. might 
some class feature that situationally, if you're dual wielding, is giving you, you know, plus one to your AC. So though all of that is coming together in this rules engine and determining that final armor class. And what we, uh, you know, ended up with is we ended up with a situation where if we wanted to easily port that over, for instance, into a mobile application, it was not an easy process because all of that math was being done not on the server, but on the client. And so this is one of the lessons that we've learned along the way that, you know, we need that stuff doing the calculation part at the server where it can go to the different clients, whether that's a mobile app or a web page or whatever else comes out in the future for virtual reality or whatever else. Um, we, we need those things on the server doing those calculations. So a lot of what we've been doing as we've built the team into such a larger size has been, we've been working on it for about nine months. And this is something I don't actually talk about on dev updates or anything else. So you're getting a scoop here, but this rules engine is a big part of what we've been doing. And we are, I'm fairly certain we're within about two weeks of actually closing out all that rules engine work. And wow. then you're going to see, it's going to be kind of amazing what you're going to see when we finally get out of that cave because that's where you're going to start seeing mobile apps with character sheets in them. You're going to start seeing digital dice rolling on your page. So it's going to kind of open the floodgates because unfortunately we've just had to, uh, you know, get set up for all those other things to happen eventually. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not dissimilar, um, kind of an obvious analogy, but from, from building a house, right. It's just at this time, the foundation and the plumbing and the electrical takes, you know, significantly longer. It's, it's not, it's not just throwing concrete on the ground. Like, like it's building, like you said, the base to where you can finally start plugging in something cool, like dice rolling on your screen. Like it's, it's building all, you know, it's essentially kind of building the human brain to some extent, like making all the synapses fire and make sure all the neurons are connecting where they need to before you can even worry about, you know, what color the hair is going to be. Yeah, that, that, that's a, you know, both of those are really great analogies. And, and I think that, again, for the fan out there, and I don't blame anyone. I, I get it. I'm a fan myself. I can watch Endgame and I can just squeal with delight when, uh, sorry about this spoiler, if you haven't seen this two years later, um, but you know, <laughs> when uh, Cap lifts Mjolnir, yeah. I'm just you know, f- completely freaking out. Right. And, you know, again, I, in that moment, am not thinking about the hard, hard struggle that, you know, all of those filmmakers across those 22 films, you know, were going through to get that moment, that earned moment at that point. And I think that that's the thing that's exciting to me at this point is that, you know, we have been able to, you know, there are some things that we have not done as well as we want to. There are some things that I think we do pretty well. And one of the things that I, th- I think we have done you know, better than anything I've personally seen as a fan before, which is, you know, our digital character sheet. Um, I, I do think that, you know, unfortunately, there are some things we don't cover. Life cleric domain folks are not getting the bonuses to their healing spells. And, uh, you know, warlocks are not uh, able to, uh, you know, uh, ad hoc invocations. Or uh, right now, you know, one of the issues that we've seen dragon marked uh, sub races that came out and rising from the last war are not able to, uh, the spells that they get if they're spellcasting class or not. But all of those things I just described are these really, really small 
exceptions to, to kind of the core rules. And so in this rules engine that I'm talking about, you know, we've had to start at the core part of that. So we have 95% coverage across the rules, right, but then that yeah. 5%, you know, we call them unicorn rules. Um, and so, uh, you know, those unicorn rules, um, as a player, they frustrate me to no end as a developer and, and someone who is, uh, you know, this made up title of VP of uh, tabletop gaming, I, you know, it, it frustrates me, but it's also, you know, just a bandwidth issue. It's a getting this rules engine in place where we can actually build off that foundation, like you're talking about and start plugging in some of these things. So uh, again, once we get out of this cave with that, I think some fascinating things are going to start happening. You're going to start seeing things that have literally been held up waiting on that. They're going to start dropping. They're going to start dropping, you know, much quicker. And we're going, you know, that list of potentially a thousand things that we're not uh, quite covering yet. Those are the kind of things that we're going to start targeting in between some of the bigger rocks that we're moving. But it's all been dependent on that plumbing for, you know, the character sheet, because at the end of the day, Dungeons and Dragons comes down to the characters. And uh, we knew that we had to get that part right. You know, people ask me all the time. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to, you know, throw my own question out there. Uh, but, you know, they ask about a virtual tabletop. You know, why did you not sure. come in with a VTT? And, you know, why would you not have that at this point? And it's a very, very simple answer for us. It, that's all been incredibly intentional. And it was because when we came onto the scene, three years into the edition, you already had two virtual tabletops that were well-established. And we saw that, sure, we could go out there and we could have made a VTT from the beginning. And, you know, I humbly submit that, you know, our, our team's very skilled. Like we could have done very well. And I think, I think we could have won out in, in that area, but we instead intentionally went for the gaps that we saw, because we know that people can play online with the existing VTTs that are out there. So we wanted to solidify our base by doing the things that we did not see being taken care of in the community and characters were the big part of that. You know, we did not see a character builder that was, uh, you know, uh, easy enough for people out there and widespread, you know, having enough widespread use to be, uh, you know, really viable. And then we definitely didn't see this digital character sheet uh, really, you know, hitting the mark well enough. And so we wanted to try to do that. And that is one area that, that we've done, you know, pretty well with. And then now we're going to start seeing some of those other things start to come to life because, you know, we're going to solidify that base and that foundation and that plumbing with the you know heartbeat of the game which is the characters well and I, I think what you could do is you know anytime you encounter some of those complaints or whatever online or in the forums just ship that person a copy of that cd from like 98 or 99 or whatever it was and be like is this what you want this is what you could have what if you just had i this? love it I, I i use what is so funny about that so i would argue that dnd beyond exists maybe because of that because i came into role-playing games through West End Games Star Wars uh, because mm, yes. I have been in Huntsville, Alabama my entire life. And uh, you know, I've, I've traveled a lot. I've been very fortunate to be able to travel a lot. But I have you know, intentionally stayed where I am 
you know, not the least of which that my salary goes a long way in Huntsville <laughs> compared to moving to LA. But, um, but you know, it's it's one of those things where I, you know, I really do like it here, but it is in the middle of the Bible Belt, and so when role playing would have been a huge thing for me as a you know young teenager. The only thing that I could have been exposed to at that point in time, because for whatever reason, the force uh, as a mystical energy. Totally OK. That, but, but it's totally fine uh, compared to, uh, you know, the, the witchcraft and occultism of uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Ha- having and grown so- up in, uh, in conservative Texas in a homeschool community, it was uh, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings and Chronicles of Narnia. All those were fine. Yeah. But to- God, totally for- God forbid yeah. you like Harry Potter or uh, anything having to do with dragons. Yeah, it, it was it was bad for some reason. Even though those elements were in Lord of the Rings and right, right, Narnia, it's 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 it was really really interesting how all that played out. And uh, it, it's even more interesting for me because I actually have a degree in religion, uh, and uh, I you know formerly uh, served on staff of of a church and everything else. So uh, we, before we I got are incredibly the, similar people. Yeah. Yeah. So so ultimately, I think that. Uh, you know, as I'm looking at that, though, there in the Bible Belt, had to play Star Wars, but I was just immediately hooked on role playing because the storytelling is such a primal part sure. of who we are as humans yeah. that uh, it connected to something. And so it wasn't long before I found Dungeons and Dragons. And of course, it was a closet activity uh, in those days and had to, you know, my parents were completely fine with it, but other kids' parents were not. And so, uh, you know, uh, we started playing Star Wars and we could be on the, uh, you know, on the church grounds. But then when we started playing Dungeons and Dragons, the person we were playing was like, no, you can't be at the church building. Yeah. Like, you have to you have to move. So so we started playing D&D and, uh, you know, just to, to think about all of that, we played a little bit of second edition. But where it really started hammering home, because I graduated high school, I'm telling everybody how old I am, but I don't, I don't really care. I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting old these days. You stop caring about it. Um, but um, graduated 1999, and so that is right when third edition is just doing its thing, right? And so uh, this is where I start to get into third edition. Had that CD. I remember at the time I didn't even personally own a computer. That's how old I am. Uh, and so, you know, I went and found someone else's computer, remember popping that thing in. And I have to admit, as bad as it was, I was blown away for, you know, the five minutes that it took to get through the thing, right? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and so it was just like, it fascinated me so much at that point in time to see those master tools, you know, and, uh, and it, that was where it just started in my mind, even then, like, what if, what if, what if, and then through fourth edition, I actually started picking up a little bit of coding because the job I was in at the time, I just, you know, started making my own uh, titles at that job too. I was like, Oh, you know how to use Microsoft Excel. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're the most advanced person we have here, you know? So, uh, so we start, you know, uh, getting into all this stuff and, and I remember making access databases with, uh, I, to be honest, pretty slick tools for fourth edition. I mean, it was, uh, you know, it was better than anything that ever culminated with Insider, uh, you know, uh, because it was, you know, running combat and that kind of stuff, stuff that they never got to. And, uh, of course, it was all just personal use because back then I was terrified because Hasbro actually came after me one time. Oh, really? Uh, Irony. I was, uh, 
I think I was like 21 or something and I made a, um, so I made an uh, SRD compatible GI Joe, um, like uh, role-playing, you know, kind of primer and everything. And I put it up on a website and it got, this is before Reddit was really a thing or anything, but it got like attention. And so I had, you know, I I forget how many, uh, you know, tens of thousands of people downloaded it within a couple of days. And about a week later, I got a cease and desist from Hasbro. (laughs) And so I'm like, you know, this, uh, you know, I'm like, I wasn't making money on it. Like I I just wanted people to be able to play as snake eyes, you know? And, uh, and so I'm like going through that and I got like really, really nervous. So then during fourth edition, uh, I was like, no, no, I'm not going to try to share these tools or anything, but, but they really were something I have to admit. And then, uh, you know, fourth edition, I just couldn't get anybody to play with me. And then, and then fifth edition comes along and I was in a very different place in my life. And, uh, and, and then obviously this D and D beyond thing happened. So, so you can't just say this D and D beyond thing happened as if it was just like you, you woke up one day and you're like, Hey, oh, what, if, what if we just became yeah. the official, you know, tool set licensed, whatever. Um, I, you mentioned uh, before we started recording that you'd been in, you know, kind of the aerospace industry for a while, obviously, um, you know, tech and, and development stuff. What uh, what kind of happened and, and resulted in you ending up at Curse at the time? Yeah, ultimately. So I did. I, I graduated college with a degree in religion and I also have a degree in sociology. Um, I, I love human behavior. Um, it's uh, remarkable to me. And uh, it actually has served me very well. And uh, I think one of these days, if I ever retire from the gaming industry, that I would try to do some actual real sociology on gamers and on the Internet, uh, you know, on how people behave on the Internet. Uh, Because, you know, it's like things like Reddit are uh, really fascinating to me. Uh, You know, I think people have seen before that I, I weighed in there like on Reddit. I mean, people, you know, you mentioned some of the negativity when we announced, uh, you know, on Reddit and everything. And, um, and you know, it, it, it is just such a cesspool of, uh, you know, human emotion, uh, and, and everything coming out on Reddit. And, you know, it's one of those things that somebody says something and I I do, I get a little triggered sometimes and I'm just like, Oh, I'm, I'm going to reply to that. And, uh, you know, my wife is sitting here telling me like, no, don't reply now. And I, I feel like sometimes, you know, that I'm like busting the door open and like the hero shots happening. And I'm like just striding into, uh, you know, f- fight the Leviathan or whatever. Uh, w- when I uh, sometimes wade into to Reddit and actually uh, engage with the fans there. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, sociology, uh, is, you know, and human behavior is something that I, I find very, very interesting. And I'm sure I'll uh, it's it served me well, and I'm sure it's going to, you know, be something that I do something more with down the road. But um, I was on staff at a church uh, here here locally, and ultimately uh, got to a point where uh, I won't, you know, throw any kind of like uh, crazy shade anywhere. But I, I started seeing some practices that did not seem very ethical at all to me happening, uh, in, in this place where that I thought was supposed to be a paragon of virtue. And, um, and so I ultimately, uh, stopped doing that for pay. Um, and so I, you know, I'll emphasize, I haven't stopped doing it all these years. Uh, you know, that was, uh, goodness, 20, 20 years ago, at least when, when all uh, that would have gone on. Um, but, uh, but ultimately, well, no, almost 20 years, I'm not quite that old. 
But, um, but yeah, it's been a long time ago. And I, uh, you know, walked away from getting paid to do any of that kind of work. And instead, you know, when, when I did that, though, I was like, well, hey, I've got to put food on the table somehow. I have a baby now. I have a wife. You know, so something's got to happen here. And the thing that I did was, you know, I was like, hey, I can learn anything. And so I just I just need a chance. So I go to my mother. Hey, you know, this Fortune 500 company that you're working at here in town, like, do they have any openings? She's like, yeah, I think I can get you something. So I get in and I am an MRO office supply buyer was the first thing that I did there. And I revolutionized the company because I ordered things online for the first time. So I ordered their staples online. Game changer. They they used to call people with a paper catalog. And, uh, and so they just thought that I was so smart and, and just thought that I was, you know, uh, just something they had never seen because uh, I used the internet. And, uh, and so that just really, uh, it, it was very valuable for me. I spent 10 years at that company and it was such a vital time, I think. And I genuinely don't think D&D Beyond would have happened without that time because, I, I went from, you know, the supply chain, which is, you know, where buyers are kind of situated. I did virtually everything on the supply chain side. I moved into corporate quality. I became a Lean Six Sigma master black belt, you know, stats and, uh, you know, process improvement. It was all about like, how do you make things better and how do you, uh, you know, eliminate waste and, uh, you know, all of those kind of principles in business. And, uh, you know, eventually I moved over into the IT department. And that was all about uh, running these just, you know, huge prod, uh, uh, projects. I had eight project managers under me at some point. And, you know, at any given time, they were running about 50 projects. So it was just this, you know, huge portfolio. So just learned so much about actual business. And then I started looking at myself in the mirror. I'm like, hey, I'm not getting any younger. Does this excite me to do this? The answer just kept coming back. No, that I wasn't very excited. I was very comfortable. I was making a lot of money. I, you know, uh, had a feeling that I was, you know, going to become a VP at that, you know, giant company, you know, pretty soon. One of the probably youngest ones that that they had. Um, But I just still was like, you know, can I see myself doing this another 15 years, 20 years? And uh, that answer came back. No. And Uh, you know, probably two years before that, I saw that this video gaming company had moved into my backyard. So Curse Incorporated had moved from their headquarters from San Francisco to Huntsville to uh, cut some costs. That was kind of, you know, the the big thing that they had done. And several companies had done that around the same time. And, uh, you know, I, I was like, wait, I played World of Warcraft just so much. And I used Curse all the time. Yeah, yeah. I owe it to myself to try to see if, if they, you know, have a role open for me. So I, uh, they didn't even have a job, uh, open and I just, you know, kind of sent my resume in and said, Hey, I think uh, I should work for you. (laughs) And, uh, eventually ended up contacting me about a business development position. And I was on the the phone with a recruiter and, and I just literally said to him, I was like, I don't know why you're talking to me about this job. I don't have any experience in this. And they were like, well, we think you could learn it. And I'm like, okay, I'll interview. So I come in and interview. Every one of the interviews, they were just like, ask me all this stuff that I didn't know about. And I said, listen, I don't know why you're interviewing me for this. Uh, 
you yeah. know, the whole time. And so apparently that was the magic key. And uh, then all of a sudden they call me and say, hey, we're not going to offer you this job. And I said, to be honest, if you had, I probably would have said no, because it meant that you didn't know what you're doing. <laughs> right. Um, but then it came back and they said, but we want you to do this other job. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll do that. You know, so I uh, started working for them. I came in to be the product manager for Straw Poll. I don't know if you've ever seen that website, but it's strawpoll.me. Okay. And it's just an online polling site. Very, very simple thing, but Cursed just acquired that. And of course, they had, you know, Gamepedia, they had uh, Hearthpone, they had um, LolNet, like a league, you know, the biggest yeah, league yeah, of legends yeah. out there. So all that stuff going on for Curse, but I was working on Straw Poll. And, uh, you know, even that was a little boring, but it was like, that's okay because I can play Diablo during my lunch break. <laughs> right. You know, this, this, this kind of office. perks. It's all about the perks. It was all the perks. Uh, and ultimately, after I started there on my second day, they started talking about how Adblock was killing the media business and how, you know, it, it was just hemorrhaging. It's a slow hemorrhaging, but it is, it's completely going to kill, you know, uh, media businesses uh, before, and unless media businesses figure out a, a way out of it, but none of them have so far. So yeah, on the second day with the company, they're telling me all about that, you know, we need to get out of the ad business and get into direct user monetization, uh, something to sell and something of value to provide to, to customers. And they were saying, we need to get out of the video gaming business uh, exclusively anyway, because it's just a very crowded space. And so uh, I'm, you know, sitting here thinking like Dungeons and Dragons, you know, and, but, I'm, but I'm not raising my hand because it's my second day and I didn't want to be that new guy. And so I waited a cool, calm two weeks and then came in and was like, you know, started showing them data, uh, Dungeons and Dragons and this tabletop industry has grown 30, 40% year over year for the last three years. And so that started to get their attention a little bit. But then really what sealed the deal is I started talking with, you know, team members and it just happened to be a back-end developer, a front-end developer, a designer, you know, all, all the building blocks of a team. You know? Yeah, yeah. As, as I said, I'm a sociologist, but uh, but anyway, uh, so I, I started to to you know put put that uh, team together and just be like, hey, we should you know play Dungeons and Dragons. Have you ever played? Well, one of the people had played, Dave Heartless, and he's he's still on our team. He's our uh, he's actually our principal architect uh, on D and D Beyond now. And uh, he uh, he was like, yeah, let's let's play, you know, and so so I ran a game for nine people. It was a lot of people. You know, oh, wow. Yeah. And I ran that game in that office. And I have to say that I barely prepare for games anymore. Like, I, I just don't do it because I improv so much. And and I uh, have a really good memory so I can, like, read a you know chapter of an adventure module and pretty much just, you know, have it down. And uh, but I have to admit, I, I prepped for that one a little bit. And it was one of the complete most baller sessions that has ever been run in the history of mankind. Probably <laughs> it's that way in my mind. Right. right? Yeah. And, uh, and, and these people were just hook line and sinker. I mean, we had somebody literally the next day come in and buy $350 worth of miniatures from whiz oh my kids. Gosh, yeah. Because they were just so addicted to what and th they were begging me to play every night of the week. And I'm like, look, I have a family. I can't do, you know? And so um, they were just completely consumed with it. 
And the this fascinating thing happened. Dungeons and Dragons started to take over our office. So you would go around the office and you would see World of Warcraft, uh, you know, Diablo, League of Legends posters just everywhere. And all of a sudden people are like, hey, can we hang up a D&D post? You know, and, and all this stuff's, you know, just taking over the office slowly. And all of a sudden we have two other groups that are playing uh, because, I, you know, some people out of that first group started, you know, dungeon mastering. And it, it was just this really, really fun time. And I'm trying to tell the executives, look, like we should strike while the iron's hot. Like everybody is into this. The, the passion will propel us, you know, forward. We will be successful. And so they finally kind of like, uh, you know, relented because a huge thing happened. We got bought by Twitch and Amazon. <laughs> so all of a sudden that happened. And the they're perfect, like, oh, like melting pot of, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it was like a safety net. It's like, yeah. well, this isn't that big of a risk anymore. Right. So let's, let's maybe try this out. And, um, and so we did, we put together a sizzle reel and it was like a 30 minute teaser trailer. I, I'm sure I could dig it up one of these days. I'm sure I'll share it, but um, it was something that we just coldly and blindly sent to Wizards of the Coast. We had a couple of uh, connections on the magic side at Wizards. So we sent it to them. They sent it to the right people at Wizards uh, on the D&D side. And within an hour, we heard back and we're like, hey, that's oh, a wow. good sign. And, uh, and so then they're like, uh, they're like, Hey, can you talk tomorrow? <laughs> we're like, Hey, that's a good sign, you know? And, uh, so then I, it was just me. I got on the phone with, um, you know, the head of licensing at wizards, uh, Liz shoe. Uh, and she's one of my just favorite people there for sure. Uh, she, she's incredible. She does great work. But, um, I remember she asked me to give the, you know, she said, give the three minute elevator pitch. And knowing me, it had to at least been five, but, um, but it's a I slow I elevator. Through, it's fine. <laughs> that's it. Uh, but I, I went through, you know, Hey, this is what we're going to do. And she, you know, I got done with that and she literally said, well, you know, I have to admit this is our Holy grail. And, you know, we, we would love to talk to you more about this. Can you fly out here in a week or two, you know? And so, um, so got on the plane, went out there and uh, started talking to them and basically decided, hey, we're going to do this pilot. We put together a pilot that was essentially our listings on the website now, like spells, magic items, monsters. Um, and even that, just the concept of tool tipping and everything, they they were really sold. And, uh, and so we started doing that. Didn't have anything with a character sheet yet. Um, in those early days, we were not even going to have digital versions of the books. So no, a lot of really? people know but it was just going to be the content from the books into the listings, into, uh, you know, the character builder and sheet. And ultimately it was when we got into pricing discussions with them where they started saying that we could not price the content at a low threshold for just those things that they had to, in order for everything to be fair across all digital partners. Sure. Yeah. They, yeah at that you know and at the time it was 49.99 and i was i i basically pushed against that so hard and I, I said no 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 absolutely not we cannot do this got it down to the 29.99 that we see today and uh, and they actually changed their policy across you know all the digital partners so you saw fantasy grounds and roll 20 uh well i don't know if roll 20 actually does it now but uh fantasy grounds you know came down to that price point uh, because, you know, we were able to, to kind of pave that way um, because, you know, it was, it was like, look, you know, people have bought hardcovers already. I know this. I'm, I'm a fan. I've bought them all myself. 
I do not, there's no way I'm paying more. I'm not, I'm not going to pay $20 more than I can get this on Amazon uh, for a digital copy. And at that point in time, we're like, well, hey, even if fans are going to have to pay $29.99, we are not going to leave our offering at just these listings, just using the options in the character sheet. And it was literally at that time, uh, which was very late in our development cycle, we said, you know what, we're going to re- recreate and reproduce the entire text, all the artwork, everything else from those books. We're going to tool tip. We're going to, you know, uh, cross link. We're going to, you know, make things easier to navigate. And, uh, and so that came about very, very late. Uh, but, you know, ultimately as we were putting all that together, uh, we were, you know, wizards was, uh, you know, very supportive of all that. We were trying to come up with names, names were crazy. Uh, you know, in the early days it was called tabletop hero, was just this, we, we thought that was a code name the whole time. But the closer we got to launch, the more it was like, is that just going to be the name? And we're like, I, I personally am like, I don't like that at not, all. Not a great so name, yeah. It, it's not a great name at all. And so uh, we were trying to come up with something. And uh, it was actually, uh, you know, I, I was I was like, if we're going to be the official digital tool set, I don't see any reason we can't say D&D in our name. And that was uh, that was very surprising to Wizards of the Coast. <laughs> it took them <laughs> off guard, you know. Yeah. And and so we uh we were able to to kind of push that through. And I I'll, I remember having a discussion, you know, with them initially about the name. They wanted the name to be because because this is what I, I heard. They were like Player's Handbook. That's not a good name. Monster Manual. That's not a good name. Dungeon Master's Guide. Not a good name. You know what is a good name? And I said what? <laughs> and they were like. Uh, Xanathar's Guide to Everything. I'm like, what? Is, I, I'm I'm literally like, what the hell is that? Right. Because you know? that that book was not out yet. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, well, that's what we're calling our next book that we're coming out with. And I'm like, oh. And I was like, so that's like Volo's Guide to Monsters. And they're like, yeah, that's a great name. And I'm like, I'm not sure if everybody would agree with you there, but <laughs> I said it may be a great name for a book, but for a website, we are not going to have the. <laughs> Delver's crack Guild. crack your fingers xanathar's guide to everything.com slash <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. it's it's like this is just horrible horrible name for a website so uh it was actually some of the um uh some of the uh millennials in the room <laughs> that really really got behind this whole concept of D beyond they were like oh that sounds great you know and uh and so it was uh it was really really uh crazy the way that all of that came together and uh and, you know, uh, all of that got finished. And then we were. And, able- and you think that name almost should have been kind of obvious to them because like the, the test name for 5e was D&D Next, right? It uh, was, yeah. Which which just again, you know, and this is just kind of the branding marketer side of me coming out, but like it encapsulates that idea. You know, it's not just it's not incestuous, right? In the sense that it's not like only if you're inside the circle, do you get the name and it makes sense. It's like, okay, Dungeons and Dragons, what ne- what's next? Dungeons and Dragons, but yeah. beyond the table. Like it's, it feels obvious, but I'm, you know, I'm a yeah. millennial and we're very smart well, and brilliant individuals. Well, that so. was, that was the argument that, that I was trying to make. Uh, literally what you just said right there uh, was, was the argument. And, uh, and it, it, it did, you know, uh, finally kind of, kind of get through. And, um, you know, there was a lot of uh, struggle there, but, I was told later uh, that Nathan Stewart, uh, you know, the VP of, of Dungeons and Dragons there, that he was challenging me on it because he wanted to see if I'd stick to my guns. And so I guess I passed that test. Sure. Um, but uh, but yeah, so we ended up getting to, to call it uh, D&D Beyond. And, you know, I remember 
you know, as we were starting to get the agreement signed after we had all that, uh, you know, w- was kind of finalized finally, uh, we were trying to target PAX East in 2017 for the announcement, but that was only about like six weeks away. And in the corporate legal world, that's almost like laughable. It's like, no, you're not going to get this agreement done in time. But we somehow got it done in time. And we ended up putting a trailer together that played before the big uh, you know, live show at uh, PAX East that year. It's the, that was the night I met Chris Perkins for the first time, other than in passing saying hello. Um, got to have dinner with him, you know, and he he was, uh, I'll never forget, you know, Chris. Uh, Chris is seriously one of my favorite people there. He's, uh, uh, he, he, is, he is one of those uh, persons that you can essentially say like, yeah, I like being around this person or I wouldn't mind, you know, uh, working with this other person. But then there are some people that you're like, I would like to literally just kind of sit with them and kind of chit chat, like nothing important. Like, and Chris Perkins uh, re- really is one of those those people. And uh, we were sitting together at dinner and he was like, I think this, you know, really has a chance at you know, and stuff. And I was like, I was like, we're really going to try Chris, you know, and uh, and it was just it, it was really at that moment that I kind of felt the weight of like all of that coming together and like just how much work even went into just green lighting the thing. Right. And, um, and it's really funny. We, uh, we're going to have a very special uh, development update, I guess, you know, uh, really, really soon after, uh, after this is going to air. Yeah, I think like audience. the day after this airs, assuming like I, assuming probably I the day after. Time, yeah. Yes. And so, uh, so ultimately uh, one of the songs that is in there. So if you know anything about Hamilton at all, there's a uh, song that's called, you know, room where it happens. And uh, there is a song based on that, that is essentially telling more or less telling the story that I just told in a much more concise format um, through, through that song, uh, you know, of, of how this all came to be. And uh, you know, the, uh, so this is kind of what I'll end with like the very end of that song. Uh, the the parody version I'm saying not the real one uh, the the parody here it's talking about how you know I uh, get to be in the room where it happens and, and you know and I'm kind of like personally singing that at that point in time and and it really is just an amazing thing that I can get up every morning uh, you know from the time I started working at Curse. I like pinch myself like on the, on the drive in because it, it genuinely is. I can't say it's a dream job because you don't, you're not like a five-year-old and, and be like, Hey, I want to, you know, like start the digital tool set for Dungeons and Dragons one day. Right. That's not yeah. you, know, you even know exist, but, uh, but it's definitely like a retroactive uh, dream job. And uh, you know, just getting to be with such a talented group of people day in, day out that are just passionate about this game that uh, you know, are storytellers are, are, you know, really damn fine developers and everything like that part is, uh, it, it really is, it, you know, I love being in the room where all that stuff happens. And, uh, and it really has just been an incredible journey. That's cool, man. I mean, like, I, I think a lot of people that I talk to, um, a lot of them obviously grew up playing D and D or loving gaming or, you know, nerdy stuff. But, but I think a lot of them, and I think a lot of people in general kind of have that like, man, you know, like I just kind of 
fell backwards into this thing I'm doing now. And isn't cool that it took off. So it's very cool that there's a common thread for you, not just of growing up kind of playing this game, but like you were saying, the kind of early tools and skills you needed, um, developing kind of building stuff, you know, in your basement or on, you know, web boards or whatever, um, to then, you know, obviously, obviously timing and all the different things that come into play, you know, lined up stars aligned, but, but being able to consistently say, you know, know what I was, I was trying to do it here. And, and then I saw this opportunity, I jumped on it and the ball just started rolling. That's like, and th- now you get to look back, you know, however many years it was. Yeah, And, and, and if I crazy. had not, you know, because there, that really is the, uh, I, I think that's the focal point of it, right. Is, is that there have been so many people that have come, you know, well before anything that I've tried to do here that are, you know, very, very passionate about the game. Like I, I know that all these digital false starts that have happened over the years, you know, trying trying to make something happen. And, you know, again, I, I have to always disclaimer this. I understand that D&D Beyond has not arrived. By the way, like we don't think of it that way either. Uh, I think that we have done some pretty mighty things in a very short amount of time because a lot of times when I say like, hey, we just completed our second full year, uh, people are like, wait a minute. No, you've been around way longer. And it's like, no, we haven't. We actually have not been around longer than that. Uh, we just started our, our third year. Um, and uh, and so it's like, I, I do think some mighty things have happened and the team's been amazing and, uh, you know, what we've done so far. But uh, the roadmap stretches just thousands of miles ahead. And, and, and we do not think of ourselves as arrived or done or anything remotely close to that. And so, you know, there's, there's just a ton of work, but, but I think that, you know, those digital false starts, you know, people have come along before that have been very, very passionate. People have come along before that have known how business works. Um, you know, people have come along that, you know, before who have had vision, um, you know, and, and things like that. But, you know, it, I, I had all those things at the same time. And that's all because of my past and, you know, working that boring job that, you know, job that sometimes felt cog in the wheel. Uh, you know, I, I kind of personally never let it, uh, you know, be that I, you know, I, I always pushing, always striving more, but still it's like, that's the kind of environment that was, but it was so useful to understand how business actually works. And so I'd come into this company, uh, you know, with curse and uh, I'll just never forget my first few weeks. I was just like, wow, this is like, you know, uh, coming into the wild West. Like, you know, they, they don't even know what a process is, you know? And, uh, and so, you know, the, they're, the they're still buying to, paper from the uh, paper catalog person that calls. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. But no, they, it, for, for them, it was much more just like, Hey, uh, we're going to make this really, really cool website. And, uh, you know, when Overwatch comes out, because it was right around when Overwatch came out, uh, they were like, when Overwatch comes out, we're going to jump on it the first weekend it comes out and make a website. And we're going to become the biggest Overwatch website in the world. And like, there's just no process. It's like literally people just scrapping and making it happen. Right. You know, and uh, and so, you know, the thing was, is that D&D Beyond never would have gotten off the ground with that kind of scrap. And so it was almost like we needed that passion and that scrappiness to meet some kind of vision and process. And, and you know, the, the, the right ingredients came together. And even just the right ingredients uh, for, for me personally, uh, you know, came together. And, you know, being playing the game for, 
you know, uh, 25 years or whatever it was at that point in time and just how much of an ultra fan I was. I mean, I have been that ultra fan. I've been on Ian world, my, my entire, it feels like my entire life. I've been, you know, uh, gnome stew, um, Mont, anything Monty cook did, you know I mean? It's like, I have always had my finger on the pulse of everything that's going on with this industry. And I wasn't even in the industry. And then, you know, it just happens to be that we we break into the industry and, um, and it really has just, it, you know, it's turned into a thing where I, it feels like I've always been there because I've always been playing and I've always kept my finger on the, the pulse of it. And now I just get to be paid to do that part. Not a bad setup. Not at all. I am very blessed. So I, I've got a few, I don't usually prep too many questions, but I got a few written down here. Um, and one is a bit of a self-indulgent one. Cause, cause I love, I don't work in tech per se. I manage a lot of web development and developers. Um, but a good friend of mine, uh, and also actually my dungeon master and a listener of the show, um, he does project management, you know, in kind of software development. And I was like, okay, well, what's, what's a nerdy question? And he wouldn't, he was like, well, I don't want to bore your listeners, but, but he was curious, <laughs> um, about kind of your development methodology and kind of your team makeup. And, and I'll admit I'm curious about it as well. So if you're a listener and you're just here to hear us talk D and D just fast forward 10 minutes or something, but well, this is if for me. they were here to listen to us talk about D and D, I have already bored them <laughs> with all kinds of just, you know, rabbits that I've chased. So I apologize listeners for all of that. Uh, but no, uh, our uh, development methodology, we definitely are an agile shop. Sure. As I, just alluded to a little bit before we had five developers. We were lean and mean and and we were a machine in those early days. And we we did, we cranked out a lot of things in those early days. The thing that anybody who has been in software development knows (laughs) is that as you add people, it doesn't, it is not a one-to-one transfer. So, you know, as you start getting more developers, uh, I said that we're up to 35 now. And, you know, somebody out there is listening and they are thinking, well, they sure don't do seven times the amount of releases. And and the answer to that is you are absolutely right. We don't. And in some ways, uh, we have absolutely slowed down and we're we're releasing less things to the public at this point in time. But the story behind that and and why that's happening and and the reasons it's happening, uh, you know, kind of the... uh, uh, that's the the interesting story, and anybody who does software development uh, is going to be very familiar with this. But yes, we're an agile shop right now. We have uh, four distinct product development teams that are working on D and D Beyond. We have one that is focused primarily on uh, kind of the challenges side of the house, which is uh, going to be your uh, encounter builder, the uh, combat tracker that's now hit alpha. Uh, you know, all of that is is kind of what that team is concerned with. They had a long day yesterday, for instance, because we, uh, uh, well, uh, yesterday in the in the past, as we're recording Eight, this, eight-ish days uh, ago. For your, yeah, your listeners, uh, last we had a bad day, uh, day last week, is what I'll say. Um, where you know we released the uh, combat tracker and uh, some unexpected load happens, uh, and uh, you know it puts down the monster service for a little while. The encounter builder and the uh, in, uh, combat tracker went offline for you know a few hours yesterday and everything. Now again, this is one reason that we alpha test uh, for sure, sure because no amount of automated testing can catch everything. But uh, you know it's like that team 
is working on all that. We have a team that's working on uh, kind of our commerce part of this, um, but also some exciting things that are coming very soon with dice and uh, you know all all of that side of things. They also handle compendium listings, kind of the core of the website. And then we have another team that is uh, based pretty much exclusively around the character sheet. That's the team that's been in a cave for about nine months working on this rule rules engine work that is going to hopefully be done very, very soon. And then we're going to start, you know, really having a very strong foundation to build on top of. We have a team that is, uh, this is very exciting. We call them our Valhalla team. And they uh, are working on virtual. So this is the start of what will eventually, for us, we call it a virtual game space. And we intentionally are not calling it a VTT because we believe very much so that it is next generation from a VTT. And so the first steps of that are starting to come together. And the first expression that you'll see of that being a 3D environment is 3D dice. And so those those are on our doorstep um, to be in alpha very, very soon. And uh, again, some very exciting things happening with dice this year. And um, so that team is there. And then there is actually five teams. I'm almost forgetting one team. We have another team that is based in Poland that is doing incredible work on the back of the aforementioned character service, this rules engine. Um, they are doing some incredible work on a player-focused mobile app that is, again, as I said, all those pieces coming together as soon as that rules engine's done, Lots of dominoes are going to start falling and we're going to start seeing, um, you know, the most often requested thing that we've seen since some pretty early days. Uh, we've, we've taken some missteps when it comes to mobile. We've learned a lot from that. And now we've got a Cracker Jack team in Poland that is doing some amazing work uh, on the mobile uh, native app. I hope to even show that off in a, a dev update very soon. Um, and so, very, very soon, we're going to uh, finally see character sheets in a native mobile app, and uh, we're going to be working towards offline and everything else. So uh, all of that is happening across about five teams right now. And as I said, about 35 developers, I think, is what we're up to. And uh, again, all of it's very agile, iterative. Uh, even if the public isn't seeing the iterations, the iterations are happening. Uh, we, we just you know haven't released all of the code yet. And a lot of those iterations are waiting on that one shoe to drop with that rules engine. Well, very excited for when all that comes together. Um, that, that's cool, man. It's exciting as a fan, as a, as a user. I'm looking at my profile page right now. As a member of D&D Beyond for two years, 11 months, and six days, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm very excited about all that coming forward. Yeah, that would have been right back at the alpha. Yeah, or yeah, early. Yeah, like uh, we we started, or uh, the beta rather, uh, we started the beta, that public beta, I wanna say it was like March 17th or something of uh, 2017. So yeah, you were yeah. you were right there. Or early adopter. Um, <laughs> another question that I wanna make sure that, that I ask. So I, I think, I think just about everyone out there, especially if you're a Critical Role fan, has at this point seen the the D and D Beyond, uh, well, any of the spots that Sam does week to week. But obviously, the a very famous one is what has now kind of become the the theme video, theme song that he kind of. I <laughs> assume got the perfect warlock. We all know. It, we all sing it, and now it's in my head. Um, 
how did that come about? Cause, cause my, cause the impression I'll tell you first kind of what it looks like for us. The impression is, and this is probably correct that Sam just pulls something out of his ass, you know, 10 minutes before he goes on air and does a cool bit. Um, so that was him originally kind of doing, doing a song off the cuff since you guys are sponsors of the show. And then a little bit later, uh, you know, a few weeks, month, whatever, debuting this, you know, animated thing. Like what was that whole process? How did that become a, an official thing versus just something he made up at the show? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and this is one of my favorite stories. So yes, it, in, well, let me start here. One of the things that I like to do the most is I, I really do consider myself a patron of the arts, like personally, professionally and everything else. And, and so one of the things that I have a, you know, very marked uh, track record for, uh, at D&D Beyond is finding people that are doing really, really great things and then trying to amplify that. So for instance, Todd Kenrick, um, people might remember something called Dungeon Life at some point in time. Uh, you know, that he was trying to do a few years ago. And, um, you know, I, I remember having the first time I met Todd, he was interviewing me and uh, we hit it off, you know, really, really quickly. And, uh, you know, the time that I knew I was going to like him is I showed him actually a character sheet on the phone for the first time. And he was like, oh, this is going to change everything. So he said, you know, I said, yeah, I think so. And, uh, and he, uh, and then, you know, eventually I was just like, hey, why don't you come work for us? I'll pay you a salary. You won't have to uh, do the the Patreon thing, you know, and you can just keep doing the same exact thing that you're doing today. And uh, and so he did that. And uh, and so I do like I, uh, you know, there are some other exciting folks that we're starting to work with on, uh, you know, Cortex and some of the stuff that, that we're doing on that side of the world that, uh, you know, we're not quite ready to reveal to the world yet, but it's the same kind of thing. I see somebody that's doing, you know, great work and I, I, I want to enable that person to just keep doing great work. And uh, so one of the things that we've found out about Mr. Regal is that, you know, with his dramatic uh, stage background, I am a huge fan of uh, theatrical presentations and everything else. And I'm just, telling all your listeners here, this isn't something I talk about much, but you know, one of these days we are going to end up producing some kind of pretty major theatrical production that D and D beyond is patronizing um, and, you know, putting it in conventions at Gen Con or, you know, whatever else. And um, I know that it will get butts and seats. Um, and I know that people will love, you know, especially if we can make a musical. Um, so, you know, these are all like, there, there are prototyping type things going on today about that kind of stuff. Uh, this dev update musical is even a little bit of a, a little bit of a trial run to, to see, you know, what, what something like that could look like. But I do think that we're going to end up one of these days with a very serious, um, you know, uh, high, high budget, you know, kind of theatrical production. And Sam of course is, is a big patron of the arts as well. And, you know, when he came in and he did that uh, rendition, I, I immediately knew that I was like, you know, that that's a hit. And so I was typing an email before he even finished singing the song. So I was watching it live and I was typing an email, um, you know, to Sam and, and to, you know, some of the business uh, counterparts at, at Critical Role. And I just said, you know, hey, I really would like Sam to get into a studio record that song. We'll figure out music. We'll, you know, 
and, and, and all that stuff. Uh, and then I want to animate it. And, uh, and so it was just an immediate decision. I didn't know it was coming or anything else. I saw it. I said, Hey, that that's something, you know, and, and we, we need to tap into that. And so I, I was just doing it immediately. And, uh, they came back very quickly before the show was even over, you know, and said, Hey, you know, we'll, we'll make that happen. So he recorded it. I remember getting the, uh, you know, his brother-in-law uh, runs a, a music production shop and uh, uh, actually ended up doing the music. And I was just, you know, I remember getting the first cut. And uh, first of all, the first cut was uh, when he was on the show. He, I'm, I'm fairly certain I may have some of this a little backwards, but I'm fairly certain he said, you got the perfect warlock, uh, their weapons and supplies. Uh, and, and so he used the, uh, you know, that pronoun. But and so the whole time, so we got the animator like started working, right? And we did the Pervert Warlock as um, a, a female person of color. Um, you know, and this was a very intentional decision uh, with uh, working with the animator um, uh, because she she was asking, she was like, you know, hey, like, what do we want our heroine to look like here? You know, and um, and she was like, can she? And I'm like, absolutely. That's that's what we yeah, want. Yeah. You know, and uh, and so. Um, I remember getting that first cut back from Sam though. And he's saying, uh, you got the perfect warlock, his weapons and supplies. And I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We, we got to redo this. Back it up, back it up. But, but yeah, it was, it was just completely epic uh, when he sent that on and, you know, the little do, 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 you know, yeah, um, yeah. he had at the end was, was just perfect. And, and I was like, man, this is going to be a hit. So then it's we like, started It's like getting- the nerd version of in the air tonight. Like, like we yeah. all saw, we're like, do, 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 It was it just absolutely perfect. And, uh, and you just, uh, completely named one of my favorite songs. Um, but, um, but ultimately, uh, you know, we started seeing the, the roughs come back from the animation. I was like, oh my goodness, this is something special. And then of course I'm just so thrilled for, uh, it was, it was almost fate because that night that Sam sang that song for the first time in the advert, uh, Camille, was the fan art of the week because she had yeah, made yeah, yeah. a rough animation of Vox Machina uh, that was all like kind of sepia toned and everything. And uh, and so she was the fan art of the week. She got the gig to animate the song that he sang that night. And then, of course, she went on to animate their current intro, mm-hmm. which is completely epic, uh, you know, in and of itself. And so, uh, so yeah, I'm so just thrilled for her. She's, she's going to go many, many places. She's such a talented artist, but that's the kind of thing that I personally think that the role-playing community needs is we need that expression of art. We need all of that. And so anytime that I have the opportunity, I always want to, you know, reinforce and engage anyone who is doing great things out there. And uh, so, you know, this was a, a circumstance of giving an artist the ability to just truly make something unique and special. And um, we actually have, um, uh, I, I won't quite reveal it. I'm going to tease it just slightly. We have some more work coming from Cami uh, in the future that I'm starting to see the, the first parts of. Um, you know, and it, it's just going to blow people away. So, so yeah, it, it's, it's really going to be something it has to do with, you know, D and D classes and, uh, some, some more animated work. So it, it's going to be, going to be a lot of fun to get into that. That's exciting. Um, well, let's, let's do one more question here before we jump into our questions from our Patreon backers. Um, okay. it kind of ties into what we're talking about as far as like theatrics and being able to 
really what it, what it sounds like is somewhat of a passion of yours. Green light, cool shit. Like, like see something, say, Hey, you know what? <laughs> got the resources. It, yeah. Let's say uh, you can change your title to that if you want yeah, <laughs> the yeah. green lighter VP of, cool of green shit. lighting, cool shit. Okay. Yeah. Um, but, uh, as, as listeners know, and, and I mentioned to you, uh, we had hope Lavelle on a few weeks ago, who is one of, of your co-stars on the, um, beyond heroes stream that you guys do. How did obviously streaming's big. It's been a huge part of five E's success. How did uh, how did y'all show come to be? You're picking the cast, you've got Todd, you know, DME and TJ Storm, everybody. What was kind of the whole uh, genesis of that? Yeah, so Beyond Heroes, as it's called now, I, I Heroes of the Veil um, But um, yeah, it started as Heroes of the Veil, and it started very different because it it started as a conversation Todd and I were having with Mike Merles one day, and uh, he loves the Nintir Veil. And it was pretty much just, you know, a discussion of like, hey, you know, you ought to stream a game, Mike. And Mike's like, yeah, I'd love to do that. Like, but, you know, I don't know who would play. And I was like, listen, we'll get the players. If you want a dungeon master, I would love to do something in Nintir Vale too. So it, it came about Mike Merle's dungeon master. He dungeon mastered for three games, I think, three stream sessions. And he had to step out because he got a promotion and his job started really pulling in, in in some weird ways because he's, you know, his, his responsibilities increased. And so we were kind of at this point where we're like, Hey, we've got this really good cast, you know, it's, it's early and we're not quite completely meshing yet, especially since we're remote. Like uh, people don't understand how hard it is to play on a stream remotely. Now you might can do it with just your friends because if you're talking over each other or interrupting each other, it doesn't, come across as rude or anything like that, you know, when you're just with your buddies, but, um, you know, doing it on a stream is actually, you know, really, really challenging. And so, uh, you know, in those early, uh, sessions, that was a big complaint. You know, people were like, Hey, they're kind of talking over each other. We, we had to get in even on the technical side to figure out latency and like, you know, cause that's most of it is that nobody was trying to talk over anybody else. It was just, Hey, nobody's talking. I'm going to say something, but then the latency, you know, somebody was already talking. So, um, so yeah, we figured out a lot of those issues uh, early on. We decided we, we're kind of like, you know, Hey, do, does this just die that Mike, uh, you know, goes away. And I said, you know, I, I would like to see it keep going. And I said, but I don't have time to dungeon master it. And so that's where Todd was, you know, basically saying like, you know, put me in coach. And, uh, and so he, uh, I, I was, I was like, that's great. If, if you want to do it, then we'll you know try to continue doing it here. Uh, and, but you know, I can't do anything other than play because I'm just strung out, you know, at that point. And, um, and so he started dungeon mastering things decidedly started taking a turn away from the Nintendo veil. Cause that was Mike Merle's thing. And that that's essentially what eventually, uh, you know, changed over the name to, to beyond heroes. Uh, but in the course of that, what has been fascinating is I, I genuinely believe, and, and I am very biased here, so let me just go and get that out of the way, but I genuinely believe that we um, are doing, you know, for a remote play group, we, we are really, really clicking and doing some really, really good things because, again, most people don't realize how hard that actually is not being in the same room together. That, that part is a, a big challenge. And, uh, and so I think that, um, you know, we've gotten to a point where we understand each other's cadences, uh, you know, very well. And, uh, and so it's, it's become less and less distracting. 
And, you know, we even have people tell us now that they feel like we are in the same room, you know, which is, uh, you know, really, really huge, uh, you know, compliment for that. But I, I adore all of the players. TJ uh, has become just one of my favorite uh, people on the planet. Uh, he, he really is just such a, such a gentleman, but then also just, uh, you know, uh, just a joy and delight to be around. Like, and, and I'm not even necessarily talking about in the game. I'm talking about, you know, outside of the game uh, and uh, Hope and Jen and, you know, Lauren, of course, is our community manager at D&D Beyond. I cannot speak highly enough of her. That's another individual that I headhunted. I saw that she was doing amazing work in the community. And uh, I saw that she always struck the right tone with the D&D community. And that is the most important thing that could be said because in the early days of D&D, I was the only one really engaging the community. I was the only real spokesperson uh, for, for D&D Beyond. And I knew that it would never scale and that I would never be able to, to keep up with that by myself. And so I had to find somebody that I could trust that would not, uh, you know, betray the trust of the community, that would be someone that would always lead with kindness and all the other and transparency and honesty and authenticity and all the things that we value uh, when we're engaging the community. And Lauren just has that in spades. And so I went after her, you know, I said, Hey, I want you to come work over here. And, and, and uh, I'll, I'll speak to that done, real quick. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt yeah. you, but, um, no, no problem. you know, not to throw y'all under the bus, but about a month ago, like the service was down for an extended period of time. Right. And I recall, cause yeah, it, was it was right when I had a session. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, but what was, so, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, well, I forgive you this time. Uh, but what was striking to me and I ended up tweeting about this and tagging Lauren, um, was how that was managed. Uh, cause especially if, if you've played as you have like a lot of games that have an active online fandom, something goes down, people flip their lids and it's toxic. And I'm sure there was some of that, but the way in which she handled on Twitter, on the discord, um, the people that she interacted with, people just responded far more favorably, favorably and with more generosity than, than I've ever seen in, in a similar situation. So just a million hats off to her and, and to you for hiring her. Hey, 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 absolutely. Everything that you're saying is, is really true. And, and, and actually from where we were sitting, you know, this is where, uh, again, getting D and D beyond off the ground in the first place from the very beginning, uh, you know, the first development update I ever did literally the month after we launched, um, everything has always been about being as clear and open and straightforward and honest with the community as we possibly can be. I sit on a development stream every week and I answer, you know, 30 minutes worth of questions. I don't, I, I, I don't censor those questions. And you can see that sometimes when I read the exact same question, like twice in a row accidentally, you know, I'm like, oh, I, that's the same question. The answer is what I just said, you know? Um, so it's like, I, you know, don't ever want to shy away from that. As I said before, I'll wait into Reddit, uh, you know, when I have the time and everything else, because I think that it is, abundantly important in today's world when so much is fake, when so much is a facade, when everyone is just completely tired of all the bullshit out there. I think it is so important for a company to be as open and honest as they possibly can be. And I'm not just saying this to, to blow smoke or anything else like this. It is a major personal conviction of, of mine and you know, we have a group of, uh, you know, believers that work on D&D Beyond that are huge fans themselves. 
we we believe in this stuff and lauren is definitely uh you know a, an ambassador of all those things and so i you know it's one of the things that i even used with our executive team that doesn't always understand you know how communities work right because you know they're they're not engaging with communities all the time but i try to explain with them it's like look you know me getting on a stream every week <laughs> It, it, it's it's not a waste of time. Me, you know, us putting a human face to the work that we're doing here is an incredibly valuable thing. And so I said, like, look, we went down for about a day and a half. And I, you know, I want to be clear to your listeners here too. That is not acceptable to us. And you you better believe this team has taken it so abundantly seriously. And you know, they're they're doing everything that they can to to minimize anything like that. You know, I think. To, to be honest, in the software world, I think it's a miracle that it uh, took us, you know, over two years to have an event like that. Um, but um, but ultimately, we had the event. It, there's no way that we can sugarcoat that. It is a bad thing. It is not something that is acceptable. Uh, you know, we did everything that we could to, you know, number one, inform people what was going on. We did everything that we could, number two, to address it and, and get it back up and fix it. And then number three, we're doing everything that we can now uh, as a retrospective, uh, you know, we know exactly what happened now. We have uh, already since addressed it in the short term. We're even doing long-term things that will prevent it from, you know, that specific thing anyway from happening, you know, ever again in the future. And uh, and so, you know, that kind of response is what we're going to do. But, I, you know, I told the executives that it's like, look, I have never seen this in a community where, you know, this happens in World of Warcraft, people are threatening to burn people's houses down. Exactly. And, you know, and yeah. not actually exaggerating like that happens, but we never saw like there was a little bit of negativity. And I'm talking, when I say a little bit, literally 2% of, of the responses we're getting. Uh, we had maybe 10% that were kind of like, oh, I wish, you know, this would have been better. And it was just an outpouring. I mean, we literally had people saying, oh, I'm sorry you had to come back from your uh, holiday break early to address this. Um, I hope you get good sleep tonight. You know? and I'm, like, I'm like, where, where is this coming from? You know, And, and it is. It, it's because we have demonstrated that we value the community, that uh, you know, we would be nothing, literally nothing without the community out there. And so we put the community first in everything that we're doing. And uh, yeah, we still have to make money. Of course, every company does. But, um, you know, we happen to believe that if we put the community first, we're going to make that money, uh, you know, automatically. And so we do everything that we can to put the community first. And it's it's a major, major belief and value that we have. And, uh, you know, I, I can even say on a personal level that if we ever stop doing that as a company, then that is probably the time that I would, you know, find another another job somewhere because it's that important to me. And, and you, you know, talking kind of about sociology and whatnot and, and what we were chatting about earlier about the, the way people act on the internet and what you were just saying about, uh, the importance, you know, being expressed to the executive team of, of there being a face of there being that personal connection when, when a company is no longer, you know, at D and D beyond or, or whatever, when, when there's not just Lauren's face or your face, but all the different people involved are like, Hey, this is what I do. I'm one of you. I'm not an anonymous, you know, person just trying to steal money out of your pocket. Yeah. It, I'm not a corporate tool. Right. I'm a fan. 
Pe- I, people I, I think of you as sleep, a person yeah. that needs sleep, right? As a person that needs rest, as a person that needs grace, just yeah. like they need grace, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it, it really was fascinating. And obviously we would never, ever, ever abuse that goodwill. Um, you know, uh, the, that kind of outage can't happen again and we're doing everything we can to, to prevent it. But um, it really was a, a beautiful picture of, um, you know, reciprocated love because I, I do feel like we put love and care and kindness out there into the community. And that was one of those circumstances where, you know, I think we got a little bit of that back uh, and it, and it really was very meaningful. That's awesome, man. Well, let, let's jump into uh, these questions that I have from my fantastic, uh, just really honestly awesome supporters on, on Patreon. Um, and, and let me tell you, if, if I never got another Patreon backer, like, I can honestly tell you it would be okay because the people that I have are just some of the coolest, nicest people. I was messaging with uh, one of them, Brady, today, and she and I message on Twitter all the time. Um, I shouted out Sarah recently who sent uh, dice trays and dice for this uh, one shot I ran for these kids at a junior high um, who just lost their minds that that they got dice. They didn't even have their own dice. And, and so shout out to my awesome Patreon supporters. Uh, they get to submit questions um, for my guests. So if you want to be a Patreon supporter and be one of those awesome people that I love, you can go to patreon.com slash rule for persuasion uh, and support the show. You get to ask questions. You also get access to a bonus segment that we'll talk about in a few minutes. But the, the questions that I have from these guys are, are brought to you by my friends. You've heard me talk about them and to them before Talon and Claw. They make just super cool custom wooden uh, accessories for, for your game, for D&D, your dice, um, DM screens. If you want a badass DM screen, you can check them out. Talonandclaw.etsy.com. You can use code Roll Persuasion. That's Roll Persuasion to get ten percent off. It helps the show. And go listen to Anthony's episodes. Uh, he was one of the first people I had on the show. Um, so shout out to him taking a shot on a brand new podcast. And now we're uh, now we're partners. So if you want cool stuff for your game, go check it out. And uh, Adam, by the way, he told me to tell you that he wants to send you one of his awesome dice vaults. So I'll connect with you offline because he wants to hook you up. Oh, um, very. They're cool. they're super cool. If you like custom cool I really accessories appreciate for your that. games. But uh, because of their support, I get to bring you these questions from my supporters. So you kind of talked about this a little bit, Adam, already. But Dave asked, as I'm, I'm sure, and he even says, I know this has probably been asked a million times, but will character sheets be available on the app soon? Yeah, so I, I even had to ask when this uh, podcast was going to air where I could try to, you know, uh, put, put that in my mind as to what soon might mean to you. So soon is, is a tough one. Uh, someone asked me that on Twitter today and I literally replied soon exclamation point, And then in parentheses, no, really. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, I'm not even uh, trademarking you, um, at, at this point in time, like we, we really are, um, as I've you know talked a little bit about here in the podcast, we really are uh, wrapping up this really major lift with this character sheet rules engine. And the benefits of that are we can then use all those calculations happening on the server side in any kind of client we would want. And uh, you know one of the uh, the most important to us, of course, is the mobile app. And so we are in the internal alpha right now. I've got it installed on my phone and um, I've, I've been using it and playing around with it. And I have to admit that, uh, you know, again, we have a reader app that's out there that I'm sure a 
lot of the listeners are going to be pretty familiar with. Uh, it does it does a, a you know fairly solid job of letting you read the D and D books, which is is all that was ever really intended to do. We knew that due to the size of the books that it was, you know, kind of an e-reader is one of the apps that we would have to have, which is is what's currently out there. And then uh, we're going to have to have a separate player app. And that that's what I'm talking about here. And I, I'm literally, you know, pulling up, uh, you know, characters right this, right this minute, um, you know, on my phone. And it really Which is, is the ultimate tease because he's doing it right outside of screen. So he's like, oh, I can't yeah, even yeah, see yeah, yeah. I, I'll show you. Yeah, there. Oh, look the at it. Oh, it's beautiful. But, uh, but yeah, so it's uh, it's very, very brisk. It's yeah. uh, it's really snappy. And uh, again, you know, the the focus and goal here, we always do responsive design. So it, if you use D&D Beyond, you should be pretty familiar with the fact that the mobile web browser stuff works really, really well for a browser. And we're always going to do the mobile responsive design. But we do understand that uh, some fans are just going to want that native experience. And then the big pusher for us, and the reason that we are investing here very heavily with our team in Poland, um, at this point in time, they're doing a fantastic job. They're moving very briskly. Um, they, they really are knocking it out of the park. Uh, but you know, so much of this is the offline component. And that's the the part where you go to that convention and Wi-Fi is not available and you don't want to just kill your uh, data plan. Uh, so all of this offline part of this, that has been the biggest holdup for us. If it was just simply kind of like <laughs> what was said before when we were digitizing a character sheet in the first place, if it was just simply taking boxes and putting them on a phone and, and making them display, that part would have been done a long time ago. Uh, if we could, you know, just rest easy with knowing that you would always have an internet connection in the app, then this would have been done a long time ago. The offline piece is the real, real challenge here. And, uh, and so that, that's the part that, you know, this rules engine is going to fix. Um, and the mobile app use case was probably the biggest driver for this rules engine work that's taken place over the course of the last nine months or so. So, so yes, it, it is very close to the point of, I've got it on my phone. We're testing it actively. I think that it will hit subscriber alpha, um, you know, very soon. I don't give dates, uh, you know, infamously or famously, however you look at it, I don't give dates, but, um, but it, it really, you know, we're talking uh, weeks at this point, not months. I, I'll, I'll go that far to say that. That's awesome. And that is, uh, that is definitely very exciting. Um, two questions from the aforementioned Brady, uh, from patreon.com slash role for persuasion. The first is if you were given complete creative control and maybe you do, uh, of the next feature being implemented in D and D beyond, what would you want it to be and why? I personally want to, well, see, I'm trying to it's think. a bit of a trick question. Yeah, no, it's a really good question because, um, again, we have several features that are kind of like on the the such near horizon that fans haven't seen yet that are, again, waiting for the shoe to fall here um, that, that are going to you know start popping out. So digital dice is going to be incredibly fun. I cannot stand digital dice, and I have historically never been able to do it. I think that one of the reasons that D&D Beyond as a digital tool set has not had digital dice up to this point is because I do have creative control over a lot of this. And 
my uh, aversion to that, you know, or aversion rather, um, is is just you know uh, coming to play in that. And so it's like I, I don't want digital dice, and so I haven't had them. Well, then our teams were you know thinking, hey, you know, we really think that digital dice would be cool, and they put together kind of this little pilot for me to see. And I rolled the dice, and I felt I, I, this is hard to explain, but I felt the physics <laughs> like digitally somehow. It's all you know. It's like wait, wait, my digital hand just did that. I felt like yeah, you know? yeah. And so, uh, so the physics are, are really fun, and um, you know. And then I started thinking about the possibilities with uh, dice sets and skins, and how incredible it can be in a digital format where you don't have to actually be able to read numbers, like what that opens up for dice. And so uh, we have some very special things. We haven't talked much about this either, but you're, uh, you know, you've, uh, you've got me at a point late at night where I've, <laughs> it's all part of the plan of the day. Um, yeah. So, so you, you're, you're prying, uh, you know, plying me for, for info here, but, um, but ultimately, uh, you know, these skins are going to be amazing, you know, uh, imagine a flame set of dice that are going to have animations that yes, you yeah. look critical hit and they explode into, you know, fiery flames and, you know, uh, things like that. So just lots and lots of cool stuff coming with dice. So I definitely have to plug that one. But then, you know, something that we have not started actual development on, but we've just started conceptualizing because I conceptualize things all the time. Uh, as a futurist, I'm constantly, you know, my, my head's, you know, a year, three years, five years, you know, away. But, um, but ultimately uh, the monster builder, I think is, is a thing that, you know, I've been talking about for some time and something that I really, really want us to be able to have the bandwidth to get to, because I think it'll be a game changer. I think it's the kind of thing that, you know, people don't ask for a monster builder much um, actually, but um, people weren't asking for an iPhone before those hit either. Uh, sure. And so I, 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 I'm not sure. Again, I'm not trying to compare a monster builder to to what the iPhone did to the world, but I am saying for a D and D fan, I think that you know that the, the kind of impact, uh, you know, really is going to be similar. That you don't know you need that thing until you know we're able to build that and you see uh, what we have envisioned uh, to to happen for that monster builder. So I would say that that you know, if we're talking long term horizon, that's probably the thing I am most excited about. And now my head's spinning about all the things that just even the words monster builder could mean. Like I'm thinking about uh, Hero Forges just finished up their Kickstarter for, you know, colored miniatures and, and their updated 2.0 uh, miniature builder. And so now I'm imagining not just creating stat blocks and descriptions, but, you know, totally user customizable um, monster art, monster, you know, 3D representations that go into that virtual like... <laughs> It's, so it's I, awesome. I, I'm a uh, I'm a huge fan of Hero Forge. I love uh, uh, Tegan and Josh and uh, Lene and all the people that that run uh, that company. Um, they are they they genuinely are, are doing some amazing things. Their uh, color uh, miniatures are the real deal. Uh, I've seen them uh, with my own eyes, and uh, all the photos that you're seeing online are completely legit. Uh, they they are really going to be something. So. Um, yeah, imagine, you know, being able to manipulate a 3D model and you add tentacles to the model and, uh, you know, the stat block all of a sudden is going to, you know, pull in automatically a tentacle attack. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, there, there's there's a lot that can happen here. And I think the biggest use case for me is reskinning is such a, it's become such a natural part of the game at this point that if you want that mind flayer to not be a challenge of 12, but, you know, it's been away from the colony too long and it's an eight at this point to, you know, because you want the mind flayer in there for your lower level characters, then, you know, this monster builder being able to just have a slider that you simply move from 12 to eight and then all of the math cascade appropriately that is kind of the holy grail and i think i think you know we can absolutely do it it's just a matter of when we have the ability to focus and and the bandwidth to pull it off well and like you said you guys are, are barely even three years old so you know and but yeah. but it feels like you've been around so long so when we start talking about you know the future and, and what could be i mean pie in the sky like what, what do you want it to be like there's so many possibilities well yeah it's uh, you know i i won't completely say things like the oasis or or you know because that's uh you know really supercharged terminology but our virtual game space and everything i mean you know we're, we're talking 3d we're not we're not talking you know current gen flat uh to 2d stuff uh so you know 3d it's it's going to uh link up in you know just incredibly profound ways so uh and again you know combat trackers super early steps of some of this we're just starting to uh, you know, kind of get around to that point. And the great thing about it is because we did intentionally choose to go into things like trying to make character management as solid as it can be, um, you know, and as we start to fill out, especially those rules exceptions, those unicorn rules that I, I referred to earlier, and character management is is in just, you know, such a great place. As we move forward with some of these really, really cool, never before seen features, all of that foundations in place and you have all that stuff uh, connecting and everything talking to each other. Uh, it, it really is going to be an incredible way to enhance the game. Exciting stuff. Uh, Brady's next question. Um, you get the opportunity to play a one shot of D and D with anyone you want, who would be the DM and who would you be playing with? Wow. The DM. Um, I'm going to have to say me. Um, for the for the DM actually because um, I actually just enjoy the DM seat more than playing typically. So okay. I, I think I think I would. So I'm going to tell you which players. I, I sure. Would like. yeah, yeah. But but I think that uh, you know I I would enjoy running a game for Neil Gaiman. Mm, yeah. Um, Nathan Fillion. I think he would be fun to play with. Amy Poehler. I think would be a complete oh, man. Yeah. to play with. Um, let me think. Uh, oh goodness. Um, oh man, that's that's tough. Who? Because I I would want at least one more player there. Um, Anthony Mackey. It might be a weird choice, but no, uh, no, I dig it. I'm, I'm here for it to play with him too. So yeah, off, off the wall maybe, but, uh, but those are the ones that come to mind. Well, and as a, uh, as a huge, and, and you mentioned Anthony Mackey as, as a huge, you know, kind of a MCU fan. And we'll talk about that a little bit later in our Patreon only segment. Um, yeah. I'm sure you've seen all this stuff, you know, going around about them talking about, Oh, we need, you know, Chris Pratt and whoever, like we need to get a, a game going. Yeah. So, so maybe that needs that, maybe that needs to be the, uh, the cool shit that you're enabling hey, right who now. Knows? I mean, that's, that's the kind of stuff that as a, uh, 
as an enabler of cool shit or whatever we said earlier, that's uh, that's definitely my in my wheelhouse. So let's see what we can do. Hell yeah. All right. So last question comes from Sarah, patreon.com slash rule for persuasion. She says, we've seen so much growth in D&D beyond in the past couple of years. What are your crazy ideas for the website or app? What do you really hope to accomplish one day? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I, I definitely talked a, a, a good bit about, um, you know, what I, I think is a little crazy, but to, to be sure. honest, again, it's, those are all just natural extensions for me. So I, I think I might talk about something that, you know, is is definitely far more crazy, but I, I think where I want to see this go. So we've been um, having, uh, you know, some discussions with different companies out there. Uh, I, I'm, most of what I do these days um, as, as the ND Beyond has grown is, is a lot of business development and uh, uh, just, you know, talking to a lot of influencers and uh, and companies out there that are doing cool things. But um, I want to be able to roll physical dice and D&D Beyond instantly know what I rolled on that die and pull all that math in and all the implications of that in. So the way that I envision this going, and, and we're really probably not that far away from all this happening, you know, two or three years out and uh, – I think this would be fairly prevalent at tables, but you know, I want to, the dungeon master to be able to say roll initiative and then everybody, you know, rolls their dice. And then as soon as they roll the dice and almost before the human part of our brain can like know what we rolled for initiative, the dungeon master knows that and it's already sorted for the dungeon master. And so then, you know, we go right into playing and then it's essentially, you know, I attack the uh, hobgoblin and, and, you know, roll an attack roll, you roll the attack roll and it knows exactly what you rolled and it knows what that armor class was on the DM side. So it's instant feedback that's telling the DM whether that hit or not. Now I I understand that dungeon masters would want to potentially not, uh, you know, potentially hide that from players or whatever. So there, you know, there'd be, uh, privacy or whatever for the DM to be able, but still the DM would instantly know things like whether saves uh, succeeded or, you know, whatever. And then, because really what we're trying to do is we are not trying to remove the human element from this at all. We're not making video games. Wizards of the Coast just announced that they're, you know, making seven video games, you know, right now. And as a fan, that's great. And I can't wait to see them, um, you know, but, uh, you know, as a tabletop player, what D&D Beyond is trying to do is we are doing our best to mitigate the negative impacts of rules at the table because we've all experienced those negative impacts. You roll for initiative. Uh, one of the one of the songs that we're going to be singing in the musical is actually called Initiative. And so uh, when when you tune in for that, listeners, uh, see, you know, we'll talk about how initiative is a chaotic affair. Uh, but, you know, we've all been in those games. Like, I... I honestly just get tired of like who had over 20, who had over 15, you know, or, or any of these other systems I've seen, like all of them are just kind of awful. And they take you out of that dramatic moment of, you know, this horrible monster just dropped through the ceiling and it's like completely kills immersion. Yeah. 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 The immersion's gone. And so I want D and D beyond to continue to battle to mitigate those negative impacts of rules to where the only thing that remains 
is the magic of the human interaction and and the storytelling, the cooperative storytelling that's happening. I want all of those elements to shine through without any kind of, you know, a muddy glass that it's shining through. I, I want all that mud out of the way and I want this to just shine through just brightly and clearly. And, uh, and I do think that, you know, in small ways, we're starting to do some of that, but in very big ways in, you know, two or three years, we're going to start doing uh, some really, really incredible things with that where, you know, you, you're almost going to, it's almost going to feel like improv theater but it's not going to do it in the way that, you know, for instance, even with Beyond Heroes, if you watch streamed games, Critical Role does a pretty good job of this. But still, at the end of the day, that does not feel like a table game. Like if sure. you play at the table, stream games are a, a different type of play typically. And, um, and you know, there are times on Beyond Heroes that I'm not sure we're playing Dungeons and Dragons anymore. It's we're, we're just doing improv theater, right, uh, you yeah. know, at that point. Um, and, and again, that's fine maybe for streamed games. I would love to see a day where the rules are still there and still have the impact that the game intends them to have at all times, but you still can are, are not slowed down by them at, at all. And you can still achieve that feel of improv theater while the rules are still perfectly in play and you're not you're not glossing them over or fudging them or anything like that that is is kind of where i see dnd beyond uh, heading and i would say that that's maybe the most you know crazy direction that that i think all this is going to go because yeah some of the other things are huge virtual game spaces uh, 3d modeling of your characters and monsters and you know all that is going to happen but i think that the impact that is the the coolest direction that we can go is that all of that mitigation of of the the rules baggage that that may become with some of the rules well and even like other stuff we've talked about like like even something cool like that where the dice are registering into the system and all that's happening automatically even that's just an enabler of more cool shit as we've been saying because what if yep. you roll the dice dnd beyond knows that you are rolling for your bow attack and should your dm you know whatever want this set up um it triggers a hit. It triggers a sound effect of an arrow firing and a hit. You're you're up in the initiative. Your player's music starts playing. Like all the immersive elements. Maybe there's a video element. Like all these things suddenly, you know, the, it, one possibility. It's like a skill tree in a video game. You unlock that one node on Final Fantasy, and now you've got 27 different options of of what this could grow into. Right. That that is, uh, you know, everything you're describing there is the kind of thing that, uh, you know, I, I really have been dreaming up for, for, you know, three years now. And, uh, and I think that I, I know that, that we will get there at some point. And even, you know, I, I haven't said much about sound here, but sound is always on our mind. Um, and, uh, and, and I do think that, you know, the integration of course will start, you know, innocently enough, it's going to be, you know, some kind of sidebar you pull out that has a jukebox that you can trigger sounds. And then, you know, the integration will start to come into where you can assound, uh, like assign sounds to spells. So when I cast fireball, I can hit my little speaker icon and it'll sound like, you know, fireball going off. Um, but yeah, it's going to get to a point where, you know, even with combat tracking, you know, some of the next steps, um, Clearly, we got to get uh, th this is kind of funny, but the reason that we don't have player character health coming into the combat tracker 
rules engine's not done. So, you know, it's like that. That's, that's one of those things we're waiting on where, and then, and then we'll pull that stuff in, you know, uh, immediately after that. But, um, but ultimately as that starts to come together, uh, you know, we're going to end up in the combat tracker having a role for initiative button for the DM. It's going to prompt players to roll for initiative. They'll be able to enter a number if they want to physically roll. If they want to digitally roll, they just roll it right there on their device. And then, you know, that automatically goes over to the, to the DM. It sorts everybody automatically. Uh, we'll start, you know, being able to push notify um, that like, hey, you know, you're on deck it's, it's your turn, but you're on deck. And so it's, you know, we're even hoping little things like that. Uh, you got to start small, of course. And, and then as it grows over time, what you were just describing there really can be a reality. That's so exciting, man. Um, this has been awesome for me. I mean, if no one ever listened to this episode, uh, this would all just be for me. And this is, this has been Yeah, yeah, this so has been great. fun. I appreciate you um, having me. And and if if you play your cards right, you can uh, you can set yourself up as the longest episode, and you can beat Brian Foster's record. And uh, Brian oh, Brian holds a good guy. one. So you should see when he and I get together. So like <laughs> that is like we seriously could talk for five hours straight, and uh, it would be hard to say who was who talked the most. So well, we'll we'll call you a tie for one and two when this is all said and done. Um, but before <laughs> before we go, and and hopefully, uh, you know, I can still snag you for a few more minutes. We'll talk in the. Uh, the post episode zone of truth segment for Patreon backers. Um, again, guys, you get access to a special feed where you can hear this, uh, you know, post segment where we talk about whatever we talked with hope about parkour. We talked with Satine about the Dresden files, uh, you know, whatever kind of comes to mind. I think Adam and I are going to talk about the Marvel cinematic universe. Um, see if I can't get his take on the, uh, the best Marvel movies and maybe even the worst Marvel movies. Um, so we'll keep him around for that. So make sure if you support the show, patreon.com slash rule for persuasion that you have that special subscription link so you can get access to that episode um and if you don't that's fine you've had an awesome almost two hours of just fucking great content uh here with adam so dude where obviously people can go to dndbeyond.com uh where should they go to check you out if they're not following you on twitter dev updates all that fun stuff yeah so twitter is definitely where i spend most of my time the truth is uh facebook or any other kind of social media uh, too many words for me. So I, I, I don't have a lot of time. So, uh, so yeah, Twitter at bad eye Adam. And, uh, you know, the, the screen name is bad eye. So you're going to see me as that on dnd beyond.com. Uh, and then, yeah, I stream uh, weekly dev updates and I answer many more questions than I've answered uh, here on the podcast on a, a weekly basis. So you can join me there, uh, twitch.tv slash dnd beyond on Thursdays at 9 a.m pacific and uh you know if you're listening to this when this is supposed to air you should definitely check out the the dev update tomorrow which would be march 5th theoretically um because uh there's going to be a uh, musical version of the dev update where i am uh performing 12 plus songs, I think, during the course of uh, during the course of that hour dev update. Uh, and so if you're listening to this later, I'm sure you can catch up with that uh, musical on YouTube somewhere. Very awesome. And and so it doesn't slip my mind that a uh, zone of truth segment that's coming up is brought to you by Smuggler's Coffee. Are you a coffee drinker, Adam? I so so here's the thing. I am not a coffee drinker at all. But we're weirdest thing, I love the smell of it. So I love the smell of coffee. So I will actually buy coffee 
just to smell it. Um, but no, I, I'm too big of a tea drinker. Uh, I, I'm just completely addicted to sweet tea. I, I actually think that I know at least one of the persons that possibly even the founder of Smuggler's Coffee because I met him at Gary Con last year. I bet you did, yeah. I'm completely uh, mistaken, but um, really, really great guy. So, um, so yeah, even though I don't like your coffee, um, it, w- it was good to meet you last year. So. Yeah, no, yeah, Dave. Uh, Dave is founder, and he's an awesome guy. Supports the show. One of my, uh, just like Anthony, one of my very first guests. Uh, if you guys do like coffee, or if you just love the smell and want to just fill a pillowcase with coffee beans, you can go to Store Smugglers Coffee. Think I'm so weird. <laughs> well, you're from the South. I mean, sweet tea is like a religion to us. So it, it is. It's tough to get away from. Yeah, store.smugglerscoffee.com. You can go check their things out. Adam, what you should do is if you're ever in Chicago for a con or something, uh, Dave has a place he calls the Barrel Room because he barrel ages his coffee beans. So it's oh, whiskey wow. barrels, rum barrels filled with coffee beans, and that's where he hosts D&D games. So I can only that's imagine awesome. it is the greatest smelling uh, <laughs> D&D basement that's ever existed. Uh, but we appreciate them supporting the show and our Zone of Truth segment each and every week uh make sure you guys tune in next week because i'm very excited uh we'll have one of my childhood heroes uh margaret weiss will be on talking about dragon lance and just all of the awesomeness that uh that is her work in D and in the fiction and fantasy community so please make sure that you tune in next week for that you can follow the show at role persuasion on instagram and on twitter you can email me andrew at rollforpersuasion.com if you want to get in touch love chatting with people love hearing from you um, and of course you can subscribe to the show on any podcast app that you like if you are on apple uh, i beg you on my hands and knees leave a review um, because that controls the magic steve jobs algorithm so if you like the show make sure you leave a review because that is a big help to us as well um, as always thank you uh, to my awesome guests in this case Adam you have been fantastic Uh, stick around if you're a Patreon backer and you'll hear a little more bonus content from us but until next time guys make sure that you enjoy your games